15, John chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to what the Lord has in store <coughs> for our message this morning. John in chapter 15, you've already stood for the reading today, you don't need to stand now. But the Bible says here in John 15 and in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. He says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. Men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And this is the very topic that I want to speak on this morning is a greater love, greater love. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful blessing that you've given us to enable us to be together with one another this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the ceremony of Remembrance Day, uh, Remembrance Sunday, I should say, uh, already today. And we thank you for those who have sacrificed the ultimate uh, sacrifice of their life to give and grant and guard the, uh, the freedom that you have so gifted to us, dear Lord, as your people. But Father, countless souls today are taking uh, the gift of eternal life and the gift of liberty for granted. They look as it as it is a, an entitlement, and it is not. And Father, I pray that as we look and examine the words of this great love, this great sacrifice that you have paid this ultimate price for us, Lord, let us see that in our lives, Father, as we go through our daily life, our daily conversations. Uh, let them be mixed with grace, seasoned with salt, that the soul may receive the glorious gift of salvation, Lord, the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, and the saving grace through freely accepting the gift that you've given us upon the cross of Calvary. So, Lord, I love you, and I exalt the name of Jesus Christ, my Savior today, in whose name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Freedom, guys. Liberty is what we're speaking of today. We look at John chapter 15, a very famous passage of Scripture, especially verse 13, of which uh, we will uh, be kind of focusing on a little bit more this morning as we carry on within the service. But when you look at John chapter 15, we see a few things that kind of stand out, especially in, say, verse 2 there, and, and uh, looking in, and down in, a, uh, in another verse there where it speaks of much fruit. We, we understand that John 15 is the fruit chapter, if you will. And the answer to our fruit in this world today is dependent upon our relationship with the Son. The Son is mentioned in John 15 over 30 times. Our relationship with Him. And if, if we were to look at uh, uh, just 
just a few chapters here in John, and they go in order. John 14 uh, is about our fear, and the answer to our fear is a proper relationship with the Father. The Father is mentioned 21 times in 15 verses in John 14. We've already mentioned John 15 being the answer to our fruit, dependent upon our relationship with the Son. John 16 is the answer to our faith, and it's our dependence. It's dependent upon our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then when we look at John 17, it is the answer of our faithfulness, our faithfulness, which is a relationship based to our God and how we serve Him. But as we come back to John chapter 15, and we understand that it is a, it is a, a chapter that is primarily focusing on the fruit of the believer. And the Bible tells us here that there's a purging that happens. Why? So that more fruit can be produced. And then the Bible tells us over here that, that we, in verse 5, that I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So we find fruit in verse 2, more fruit in verse 2 again. And then in verse 5, we find there's much fruit produced, all which is a result of a sacrifice, a result of a purging, if you will. And so we begin to look at liberty that you and I have every day, the freedom that we are granted with, that we are afforded to do exactly what we're doing here this morning. And, and for that matter, the lives that have been blessed, uh, uh, has been blessed through sacrifice, my friend. And Jesus Christ emphasizes on this word love and the love that he has for the Father. And as a result of his love for the Father and the Father for him, he produces this sacrifice in his life, which enables us to have fruit and, much, and more fruit and then much fruit. And the same thing we find in our life today as Christians, love and sacrifice are knit together in our lives. And throughout history, they have been knit together in the lives of mankind. It's one thing to say that you love someone, and yet it is quite another thing to show your love for them through actions. When our children were very little, when they were very young, and I would, I would, I would call them out sometimes from the pulpit, and uh, I would put them on the spot. I would ask them questions. I remember uh, Bailey was too young at the time, but quite often when the boys were young, and they were very, very young, Bailey and Dan were only 11, month apart, 11 months apart, but I would say, boys, I, you know, tell me this. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't what? And they say, eat, Daddy. I mean, right off the bat. The biblical truth, if you don't work, you don't eat, amen? And that's just the way it is, and that's the way it should be. That's what the Bible says, and that's the way life should be. And so I did this quite often, many a times, but when I would preach about love, Love and how love is a, an action and not just words that you say. And all four of my children would be sat there in the pew and in front of everybody there in the church. I, I would say, you know, kids, let me ask you a question here today. And I, I would ask them point blank. If, if, if your dad came home every single day and I came home from work and I said, I love you children, I love you children, I love you children, and then I went and did my own thing. And every day, just the same thing. I told you I loved you, I told you I loved you, I told you I love you. By the way, I, would, I believe you should tell your children every day that you love them, no matter where they are. I try to tell even Dave and Darius, who are away, I try to tell them good night, and I love them. I try to do it every single day. But one way or another, you need to tell your children. They need to know you love them. Amen and amen. But if I asked my kids, I said, hey, if I told you that I loved you and told you that I love you and told you that I love you every single day, and then I said, but if I did nothing with you, would you believe that I love you? And in unison, all four of them would, no, sir, daddy. No, sir, daddy. Love, my friend, is more than words. As a matter of fact, it's one thing to say that you love someone, but it is quite another thing to show your love for them through actions in your life, through deeds of compassion, through having a character towards them 
which lets the heart out and lifts the heart out of miry clay. Guys, it is the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaketh. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a greater love of which we will work down to get to here shortly. But love is an action. Love is not just an emotion. As a matter of fact, I personally don't believe love is an emotion. You say, well, I love him, I love her, and I just feel that. Feelings come and go. Love, my friend, is something that is seated deep inside the soul. And it comes with a great cost. Such price, guys, is found, first off, we find it's found in worship, in worship. In Genesis chapter 22, we find the word worship to appear the very first time. And in verses 1 through 5, the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things, that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac. That that kind of answers some questions about Ishmael, now doesn't it? Thine only son, God said, Isaac. Amen? Whom thou lovest, and get, get thee into the land of Moriah. Now Moriah eventually becomes Jerusalem. And the Bible says, And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took uh, two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood on, uh, for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place which God had told him. Verse 4. And then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off, And Abraham said unto the young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. You see, beloved, our day today, our world today, has a completely different idea of what worship is. I'll tell you who doesn't have a a, a different idea of what worship is, and that's the pagans. Why? Because the sacrifice is always involved in their worship. Yet the Christian crowd thinks that, uh, you know, a dude in skinny jeans and a t-shirt gets up in front of it in a church and starts singing rock songs, and he's called the worship leader. He's not a worship leader. He's a joke. Amen. And they're making a mockery of what worship is. Worship is not singing, my friend. That's called praising. Amen. Worship is not singing, and anyone who tells you that they are, that that is worship, is lying to you. Every time in the Bible you find that they worship, they were bowed down. They were prostrate before God, and they were worshiping Him. Abraham bowed down to the plains of memory to the man in the middle, the Lord Jesus Christ, and worshiped Him. Amen. The theophany, the the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ uh, there in the plains of memory. That's what worship is. Worship comes with sacrifice. And our love today is rooted and grounded in sacrifice. And we need to understand that. We need to be biblically sound. Amen. So yeah, I'm all for singing. I love singing. I love worship songs. I love for us to sing correctly. I I get all that. I have no problem with it. But don't confuse what worship is and what praising is. They are not the same thing. Yes, praising God through music should prepare the heart for worship. Amen. But worship has nothing to do with the music. Nothing to do with the music. I'll give you a good example here. If you want to turn to John 4, hold your place in John 15. We'll come back to that in just a second. But look over in John chapter 4 with me just real quick. And I want you to see this. John chapter 4. Bear with me just one second here. I'm going to take a look at where we are. John chapter 4. Beautiful little picture here this morning of what worship is. Notice this here, actions and deeds. John chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in the latter part. I know we just preached on this topic here not too long ago. 
Uh, I love preaching on the woman in Sychar, the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 20. The Bible says, Our fathers, watch this, worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now keep watching. Verse 25, The woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah cometh which is called, uh, called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. All right? There's people who argue, say that Jesus Christ never said he was the Messiah. They obviously haven't read John chapter 4. He just said it. Amen? All right, pick up in verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked uh, with the woman. Yet no man saith, What seekest thou? Or why talkest uh, thou with her? And the woman then left her water pot, and uh, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now, guys, we picked up on the about middle way of the entire story of the woman of Sychar, uh, where Jesus Christ is speaking to this woman at the well and having a conversation with her concerning worship. The word worship or worship appears multiple times there, and the whole emphasis is on worship. And, and what happens, he testifies to her that he is the Savior. And what happens, she runs into town, she witnesses, to all the men of this glorious truth. And, and of course, they run out there with their, um, with their uh, uh, the white hats on. Jesus Christ uses that as, a, as, a, uh, as, a, uh, as an example, as an illustration to the disciples that the fields are already ripened to harvest. And all of those men get saved because of what that woman testified. Jesus Christ stays two more days, 48 hours, the name of the sermon we preached before. There's two more days, and more people get saved. We don't know a number, but we know loads of them got saved. But I'm, the reason I'm bringing that point to you today, that topic he spoke of with her was about worship and the true worshipers and worshiping in spirit and truth. But how did it all start, and how will it end? Well, number one, we find that, it, that this worship started with love. In verse 4, the Bible tells us that he must needs go through Samaria. It did not say that he must need send somebody else. It didn't say that he needed to send a courier to tell them that they loved them. It didn't say, and again, I understand all that. Don't take wrong what I'm saying. But it said that he must needs go through Samaria, a foreign, a foreigner reaching a national to reach a nation. Do you understand? And it started with love. He must needs go through there. You know what love is? Love my friend, is a gift. Love is a gift. In verse 10, we find there, Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is uh, that saith that he give me to drink, thou wouldest ask him, and he, would, and he would have given the living water. Again, it all ties to salvation. So we're looking here about worship. Topic is about worship that he speaks to her. But where did it start? Because a Savior, a man, Jesus Christ, Loved a person who was going to reach a people enough to bring the gift of God. And this gift of love, my friend, is given by God himself. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
We're talking about a greater love than we can imagine, but it starts, guys. The price that is paid for love comes with sacrifice. And sacrifice is part of worship. But love and sacrifice are knit together from the beginning. They are solidified in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So secondly, what we find, and we come back to our text in John 15, love and sacrifice are part of the walk. Love and sacrifice is part of the walk. And I want you to look there in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 12. 9 through 12. As, his, as the Father hath loved me. So stop there just for a second. If you're taking notes, circle that word as. That word as is a characteristic. It's a contrast, if you will. It's a comparison of how the Father loved Jesus Christ. He has loved the disciples. Keep reading. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So here's what happens. Jesus Christ sees the love of the Father and how the Father loved him, and therefore he takes this contagious love that was exercised upon himself, and he turns and he loves his disciples in the same way. It's part of his walk, guys, part of his life. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, watch this, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as, there's that same word again, that contrast, that comparison, that illustration, that emulation, if you will, as I have loved you. This is simply our walk in life. To love one another as the Lord has loved us. How did he love us? He gave himself for us. His love, guys, which is shed abroad in our hearts through his unmeasurable gift is is the defining aspect of our life and our days. I, I personally believe in all of my heart that if we would just get a hold of how much love Jesus Christ honestly had for us, and how much love the Father had for the Son and God has for His creation, and that in, in Him, in Jesus Christ, all things consist. If we would just get a hold of that today, it would be much easier for us to continue to exercise the love that we have, or we should have toward others. Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest example of greater love. One in which, guys, came with an ultimate price. It is the most valuable cost but provided the greatest gift to mankind, the greatest gift mankind would ever receive, the greatest gift mankind would ever even be offered, came through the love of Jesus Christ. It's the gift of life. It's a gift of eternal life. I've had people asking me about the worth of a, a soul, the worth of a, a human life. I personally don't think you can put a numerical value on a human life from conception to the grave. I, have, I, pl- I make no bones about it. I'll stand here firmly on the inerrant word of God. Life begins at conception, and you don't have the right to end it. And if you don't like that, just put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's Bible. Amen. But I'm telling you here, we looked at missions cost one time. There was a survey that was given thousands of churches throughout the states. And 
they estimated that when you look at the grand scheme of missions money, missions funding, the grand scheme of it, it cost about $153,000, which is about 120,000 pounds for one soul to come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's world missions as a whole, okay? World missions as a whole. 153,000, 120-something thousand pounds, man. You say, my goodness, is it worth it? You better believe it's worth it. A good friend of mine in Texas put a quote out yesterday. He says, you know what? He says, a Christian, if you're saved and you're born again, you're not going to go to hell for not giving to faith, faith promise missions. You won't, but others will. If we don't support missions, people are going to die and go to hell. That's, the, that's just the way it is. That's why Calvinists turn a blind eye. That's why Calvinists uh, have a seared conscience. They don't have to support world missions. But, well, they're just going to get saved anyway. That's a lazy way of thinking. I, I don't know where that I came off on this topic and why, but I think it, it's, it's focusing on that topic of our walk. We truly say we love someone. You're only here today, guys. You're only in this village here living and breathing today because the men and women on that sign out front in 1918 or between 1915 and 1918 gave their life so that you could have freedom and liberty here in this village. Go and look at the names when you depart this morning. Read them out. I've read them. I can't even tell you how many times I've stood there in that vestibule in the front of, that, of our church and read those names. And every year, as Daniel uh, uh, stood in my steed this last Friday at the, at, the, at, the, at the primary school, each one of those children will go through, a, go through one name, and it'll go through and go through and go through. It's moving, is it not, Daniel? Wasn't it a blessing to sit there and hear these young children read? The Corporal Reese Jones and Private First, I mean, and go over these names. We're here today enjoying church and having freedom today because of those men gave their life. Ultimately, we're here today with eternal life because one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave his life for us. A sacrificial love that only he could give. And that's what started worship. Greatest gift is eternal life. John writes in his first epistle, 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Love and sacrifice, guys. They're part of our worship. Love and sacrifice are part of our walk. And lastly, this morning, love and sacrifice, they're part of the way. They're, they're part of the way. They, they just are. You cannot remove them. They, they don't hell from a, a different area. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. His sacrificial gift on the cross of Calvary, uh, the drawing of the Holy Spirit of God, the convictions of our sin and who we are and where we're going and our dire need of a Savior. That is the ultimate gift today. Love and sacrifice. Greater love have no man than this, that he lay his life down uh, for his friends. That is where it is. That's the greatest love we have. It is the way today. Beloved, this love that Jesus Christ had for his creation, it extends beyond the bounds of human comprehension. The beauty of this matter, guys, the beauty of it is that we don't have to understand everything. No man, no woman will ever master the Word of God. The moment you think you have, you'll read the same verse that you've read a thousand, two thousand times, and you'll see something different because it's a living, preserved Word. But you just got to simply believe. That's the beauty of it. Science demands, or let me call it, let me call it what the Bible says, science falsely so-called, demands you to have an equation that you can figure out and get a definitive answer. 
even though if you change one point, one marking, a different answer will come up. Science demands that. God is not such a taskmaster. He doesn't demand you to figure out every jot, every tittle. He doesn't demand you to be able to quote from, Revela- or from Genesis to Revelation. He doesn't demand you to, to know every single aspect of the Word of God. He just simply asks that you believe it. And that's simple today. It's simple. That's the beauty of it. You just got to believe. We just got to trust. We just got to have faith in what Christ has done for us and believe on him. John chapter 10 tells us in verse 17 and 18, it says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, watch this, and I have the power to take it again. (laughs) This commandment have I received of my Father. That's a beautiful statement. No man was taking Jesus Christ's life. And I know we hear people say, well, didn't the Romans kill Jesus Christ? And, and didn't, uh, <clears throat> uh, didn't uh, the Jews kill Jesus? Jesus? Nobody took it from him. He willingly laid it down. <clears throat> we were in Jerusalem in 2005. And uh, as I have a, or used to have an accustomed to do, I wandered off. And um, I was looking for a wash closet. We had come through. Hezekiah's water tunnel, and, and if you, those of you who have been there, it, <clears throat> I just drank a big bottle of water, and the tunnel gets narrow, which, you know, mentally, it feels like it's squeezing your bladder, and I told Denise, I was like, I got to find a wash closet. We get to the other side, and the tour guide says, <clears throat> we're going to sit down here, and we're going to have a chat, and I told Denise, I said, I'm not sitting anywhere. <laughs> I got to go, I'm sorry, and when we started out in that tunnel trip, they said, whatever you do, when we get to the end, do not turn left. That's the Muslim quarter. You're not allowed there. Do not turn left. Well, I got up to the top. I asked the soldiers, wash closet. They didn't speak English, or at least they acted like they didn't, and they pointed left. There was nothing right except where the bus was going to be parking. And I went left. I carried on. And uh, walked out, walked into a little cafe there. Guy comes up, puts his arm around me. I said, man, I'm looking for a wash closet. He says, come, come. Takes me to the back. I'm thinking, man, this is not good. Pulls me behind a little curtain, and he says, there you go, my friend. And there it was, a little urinal. And uh, cafe was full when I walked in. When I walked out, washed my hands, and the cafe was empty. I thought, boy, this is not good. Uh, I took out a dollar I had in my pocket. I put it up on the counter just to thank the guy for letting me use his wash closet. I walked out, and a young man comes up to me. He says, come, come. Come into my shop. He says, come in. And I thought to myself, Denise is going to kill me. That's what I thought. I don't belong here. I'm not supposed to be up here. But dude's inviting me into his shop. So I went. And I got looking around, and it, just to let you know, I had her best interest in mind. She had looked at an olive wood nativity scene the day before on the other side of the city, which was expensive. And I found the same olive wood nativity scene in this shop. And I said, how much for this? He said, $50. I said, I'll take it. They wanted 200 something at the other place. I said, that's a deal. Pack it up for me. He's packing it up. And I got to looking around. He's selling all these little knickknacks. 
And I see over here on the side, I see an olive-covered, olive-covered, olive-wood-covered Bible. It's a holy Bible. They're selling them as trinkets. The pages had never been opened. All right? The font was like literally font two. You couldn't read it. It, it, it was just souvenirs, trinkets. But I noticed that he had it in there. I said, what's your name? And he said, Arafat. <laughs> I said, like the terrorist? And he goes, no, 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 like the mountain. I said, no, like the terrorist. And, uh, you know, he's like, no. You know, so we kind of, I figured out I probably shouldn't have said that, but anyway. He's wrapping up the nativity scene, and I'm looking at him. He said, my father's Muslim. Actually, before that, he said, but my Jewish friends call me Emil. And I knew right then, whatever his background was, he wasn't devout. I said, okay. He says, my father's an imam. He goes, but I'm not, I'm not locked into that. I said, really? And supposedly we were on the Via Della Rosa, and he brought that up. He goes, we're Jesus. I said, so Jesus Christ walked through here. And the first thing he said to me, he says, you're Jews. They killed your Jesus. Your Jews. I said, no, sir. We did. I said, mankind did. What do you mean? I said, listen, nobody killed Jesus. He laid his life down, but he did so because of our sin. We're guilty of his death. But he took that life back up. Daisy, you, this, this young man turned three shades of white. He had never in his life heard <clears throat> that it was our sin, mine and his, that was personally responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. He said he had only been taught the Jews killed Jesus. I said, Mill, may I show you a few things? He says, yeah. I reached over and I grabbed that little trinket of a Bible. It was a King James Bible. No copyright printed anywhere. And I started taking him to the book of Romans, took him to 1 John 5, took him to John 3, 16. And before you know it, as we continue to read, for some reason, I don't know why, probably because the font was so small, he and I ended up on the floor in the middle of his shop reading a Bible that he sold as a souvenir. Emil's heart was broken. I saw a visible change in it. I said, Emil, all you have to do is pray. And ask Jesus Christ to save your soul. John, I took him Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I said, Emil, you need to be saved. I said, will you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Emil said, yes, I will. And then someone came in the store and shook him up so much. He says, I'll do this. I'll do this. Now, to you, that may sound like, wow, where's a bit of proof? Those of you who have been to Israel or the Middle East anywhere, and you understand how these shopkeepers work, that's their livelihood. You think you're getting a deal when you haggle with them? You're not getting a deal. They always win. He gave me my box, my nativity scene. I was very gracious and very thankful for sharing with him the word. But he forgot to charge me. Now, that to me was evidence that he was visibly, physically, mentally, and emotionally shook up. And I had a $50, a $50 note in my pocket. I said, Emil, 
I said, you forgot to take my money. He goes, oh, thank you very much. I said, Emil, I love you. Jesus Christ loves you. That's action. I could have easily walked out the store. He probably never would have realized it. He was so shaken up. But the reality of an hour and a half later, he got off that floor, and I believe in all of my heart, a converted individual. I believe in all of my heart. Nine months later, that quarter was physically shut down to any foreigners ever going into it. A friend of mine went over to Jerusalem the next year. I said, man, listen, take a left out of the water, water, water tunnel. I know you're not supposed to, but take a left. Go up a little ways. There's a shop. There's a guy in there named Emil. His name is Arafat. Go check on him. He let me know. He goes, they wouldn't let us. Guarded. Blocked off. I'm saying all that to say this, guys. The simple truth of salvation, as we just quoted in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart God hath raised him from the dead, that is love and sacrifice put together. Love and sacrifice are knit together for all eternity. They're part of the Lord's plan, and I, don't, I can't explain to you. You can ask Denise what happened, what came when they found me, and I, or I found them, and I you know, delayed the whole tour, but it was worth it. It was worth it. My friend, from the beginning of true worship was associated with the purpose of the Son of God paying for our transgressions. The foreshadow upon Mount Moriah, which would later be called Jerusalem, in the same place Jesus Christ would willingly lay down his life, where Isaac was willingly laying down his, but Abraham trusted full well. If Isaac's life was taken, the Lord would bring it back. Remember, he said, and I and the lad will go yonder and will return unto thee. Coming to thee again. Full faith, my friend, in love. Full faith in love this morning. And sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He became a picture of a future event. Isaac did. Worship was associated. Our walk and his walk, actions and deeds put together. But my friend, today, greater love is the only way. It's the way to salvation. Now, I've shared with you a testimony, one testimony of witnessing to an individual that otherwise would have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would trust that all of you would have some sort of testimony like that in your life and sharing the gospel with souls. If you don't, you should. Because there's greater love that no man than this, that a man lay his life down for his friends. Men and women gave us freedom in this, in this country to live According to the scriptures, the holy word of God, we have the freedom and the liberty to witness to whomever we want to, whenever we want to. And we should do it with character, integrity, honor, and praise. But guys, there's going to come a time where sacrifice is going to be involved. Jesus Christ already paid the ultimate sacrifice. Men and women of our armed forces paid an ultimate sacrifice to protect that freedom. But there's going to come a time in your life when the Lord's going to call upon you to pay a price to witness the greatest gift that mankind's ever been offered, that's when the greater love will be put to test. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be here today. We pray now that you would bless the closing of this service. Lord, that the liberty and the freedom that you've given us, even the liberty and freedom that we've heard we've heard about that we've witnessed that we've experienced 
But Father, even the spiritual liberty that you've given us here today, I want to thank you for it publicly. I thank you for the eternal life you have given us. And I just simply ask you now, dear Lord, carry on with us today. Give us the direction and the guidance that we need to so, better, so, so greatly serve you to be a witness into a lost and dying world that we may take on the actions, exercise and the love that Jesus Christ has given us in his example of greater love. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. I hope and pray that the preaching and teaching of the Word of God was a blessing to your heart and your mind this morning. Thank you Realize so much we for went joining on us today. I do hope and pray this sermon direction. you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us 
the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.